0: Good to see you. Beautiful Sunday morning. A little windy, but other than that, we're good. Welcome to you if you're with us online this morning, wherever you might be in the world. We are studying 1 Samuel, and we're going to be doing some reading out of chapters 9 and 10. Did I did send the... Oh, here it comes. I hope I hit send. Sometimes you make a really neat email and then you don't hit send. But you you have it. You must have it. Yes, because they're putting the screen down. They wouldn't put the screen down if they didn't have it. So we got a little bit of review, and then we got the reading assignments. It's coming. It's forthcoming. Think about what we've learned. That's what the review will be about. A few things that we have learned from 1 Samuel. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. The teacher always gets the most out of a class, I think. Here we go review. First question Why did the Israelites demand a king? All right, all the nations around them had kings, and they said, we want a king to be like the nations, and that's repeated in the text. It's not just in there one time. They wanted to be like the nations. We need to learn a lesson. It may not be good to be like the nations. Why did they reject Samuel and his sons? Why did they reject Samuel? Ah, you're getting ahead of me now. Yes. But they had a reason for Samuel. They said, you're old. That's what they said about you're old and your sons don't walk in your ways. They're rejects. So they, they, they talked about Samuel and his sons. But I think what Preston was talking about, that gets down to the meat of the matter. It's like when you... When you have a reason, but you know your reason's not that good, and so you come up with something else that you you want to put forth as your reasoning, and you kind of, people see through that. So why did Samuel think this was happening? Because they were, as Larry said, they were rejecting God, and Samuel thought they were rejecting him. And then, of course, what did God say was happening? Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They rejected why am I telling you the answers to the review questions? This is your job. Why am I doing your job? So, all right. They wanted a the king to be like the nations. They said, You're you're old and your sons aren't doing the right thing. And Samuel said, Oh man, they've rejected me. And God says, No, they have rejected me. That's what that was all about. All right, here are our readings for today, chapter nine. Uh, notice we've got some gaps. Not because the material we're not reading is not important, it's just that we, we can get to the gist of it uh, easily with, with what has been selected, I think. And we can go back and talk about the other if we need to, but it's, it's almost incidental. It's in there for a good reason, but time is short. All right, right, nine. who wants to read the first two verses of chapter 9? Anybody for a short reading today? All right, I see a hand. That's Kirk. I, I saw Catherine's head and, and your, your hand coming out. And I was, Wait a minute, what's going on over there? Chapter 9, 15 to 21. We're jumping down to 15 to 21. Who wants that? Anybody? All right, that was Paul. Then there's a hand in the back. Oh, Mike. Mike, if you'll take 10, 1 through 9. I'll tell you what, let's do that and then we'll pick up on the other two readings and, and we'll just do this at first and, and go from there for the sake of time, I guess I'll say. All right, 9-1-2. Uh, the Benjam- son
1: of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son, his name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly and there was not a young man and a goodly, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. 15
2: to 21. I have uh, had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him, he prince over my people Israel. You shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people, because their pride has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, He is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me where is the house of this seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place. For today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go, and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite, or the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all
3: the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? in 1 through 9. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. At Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, The donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, What shall I do about my son? Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor.
4: Three men going
3: up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats. Another three loaves of bread and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hands find to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day.
0: All right. Thank you guys very much. Israel has said they wanted a king. They rejected God. They said, We don't want to be like the nations. We want a king. And so what we've just looked at very quickly is... Uh, Saul being put forth as the king. By the way, who puts him forth? Is it the people? It's not the people. I I remember, I don't know how I learned this, but when I was much younger, I got this idea in my head that that the people sought out a king and they picked Saul because he was head and shoulders, but that is not true. God is the one who selected Saul, and he pointed Samuel to to Saul to go to Saul and, and find him. Actually, he brought Saul to Samuel, but said this is the guy. And so Samuel anoints him in the first part of chapter 10. So we now have the guy selected. Is there anything significant uh, historically speaking about the fact that he's from the tribe of Benjamin? There had been somewhat of a civil war in Israel prior to this. And Benjamin was nearly wiped out. Uh, I bring this up because it was it was kind of near to Shiloh. There was a place that had women, and the women went out for a festival. And some of you will recall this because it's kind of a, an interesting story. Um, there was about six hundred guys left of, of the Benjamites of the thousands of Benjamites. Only six hundred were left, and so they said, "What are we going to do for wives?" And they, well, we're going to go down to this festival and kidnap a bunch of women when they come out to dance, and there will be your wives. So. So there's some history here about Benjamin being the smallest tribe. They're just a, a, a little bitty bunch. And so Samuel is among the Benjamites, and he is taller than anybody else in the nation. And, and it doesn't say that that's why God selected him, but it may be because he saw what the people were looking for, something physical, something that wasn't really of any great, standing spiritually, so he said, all right, give them what they want. I'll give them a big tall guy to be king, and we'll see how that works out. By the way, what had he had Samuel tell the people after he agreed to give them a king? He had Samuel tell them what was going to happen when they got their king, and what was it all about? In a single word, what was it about? Taxes. He's going to tax you, and we know the word taxes to, to be uh, about money, but the word tax is also uh, something that expresses a, a difficulty. We're, this is taxing us, uh, not just asking for money, but it's, it's pulling us down. It's making it difficult for us. And so that's, that was the nature of the kingship, and that's still the nature of the kingship. When, when men rule over us who are not godly men, all right, anybody got anything as we, as we move on? We, we've got Samuel anointing Saul. So now he is specifically selected to be the king of Israel. And you see the hand of God moving in all this to bring Saul into the presence of Samuel and to show Samuel, hey, tomorrow about this time I'm going to bring you a guy. He's the guy that's going to be king. And so Samuel makes preparations and everything is, uh, how do you say it, Johnny? Syncopatico? uh, however it is. All right. Anybody got anything? Great. Let's move on. Everybody's got that all memorized. Chapter 10, verses uh, 17 through 22. Who would like to read that? Oh, I see. Is that Bobby? All right, Bobby, and then a hand in the back. Rich, Rich, if you will take 10, 23 to 27. Samuel summoned the people to the Lord at
4: Mizpah and said to This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your distresses. And you have said, No, set a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forth the tribe of Benjamin, plan by plan, and Matris plan was chosen. Finally Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet?
5: So they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the other people from his shoulders upward. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people with the ordinances of the kingdom and wrote wrote them in the book and placed it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his house. Saul also went to his house at Gibeah, and the valiant men who God had touched went with him. But certain worthless men said, How can this one deliver us? And they despised him and did not bring him any present. But he kept silent.
0: All right. Thank you all for reading. So Samuel calls the people together Where? place called Mizpah. And he says to him, here's a little bit of history. And this is what we see in different places in the scriptures. God reminding the people of what he has done for them, what he's done with them. If we forget history, what's likely to happen? We'll, we'll repeat it. But this is a piece of history that would be well-repeated. Here's here's the irony, though. This history that you would think they would want to repeat, what are they doing with it? They're chucking it out the window. Look what he says. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. This is chapter 10, verse 18. I brought Israel up from Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you but you have today rejected your God. This is what I did for you. When I was your king, I brought you out of Egypt. What other nation could have done that, brought them out of Egypt, and brought them out of Egypt the way they did? They didn't have to lift a finger. All they had to do was get their stuff together and and head out. And what else happened that that he doesn't remind them of here? What happened when they were thirsty? Where would water come from? A rock. The most unlikely place to get water. God gives them water from a rock. Where did food come from? It was on the ground when they got up in the morning in the form of manna. They got tired of eating manna. They wanted meat. What did God do? He sent quail. And they ate quail until it came out their nostrils. I mean, I'm just quoting scripture. (laughs) So all of these blessings they had, and they're saying, oh, we don't want that. We want a man. We want a king. Why do they want a king? Because all the nations have kings. What nation had a God to do for them what God had done for them? See, I, I read this, and I think, those goofballs, didn't they pay any attention at all? And then I look at my life, and I... Why would I worry about anything when I look at my life and I see what God has done for me in the years gone by? Like, well, I, don't I don't have a thing to worry about. Well, yeah, but that was then. I don't know if God's going to do that for me tomorrow. You ever think like that? Tomorrow's a different day. Um, yeah, well, God did for me yesterday, but I don't know if he'll do for me tomorrow. We think like that. We tend to be faithless. And if we want our faith to be alive and active, it's something we have to work about or work on. It's it's something we have to think about, something we have to deliberately feed all the time. Feed your faith and what will happen to your doubts. Hello, anybody out there? (laughs) Uh, You all tired this morning? Is, Is it just me? If you feed your faith, your doubts will... Starve to death. They'll disappear. Yeah, yeah. you, you feed your faith. Doubts will starve. That's, that's a saying that's kind of stuck with me through the years, and it makes very good sense. Faith isn't something that just happens to us. Faith is something that you, you come to after you examine the evidence. You wonder what's wrong with your car. It's making a funny noise, so you pop the hood, and there's sparks coming out of your alternator. What do you deduct? <laughs> Something wrong with your alternator. There's sparks coming out of it. I see what's happening and, and now I have this idea and that's what I'm putting my faith in. It's You see it. And God has shown us things through the years. And, and what we haven't seen with our eyes, he's written down for us. And he gives us testimony about the people who saw these things and who went on and forgot those things. Forgotten that you're poor, blind, and naked? Isn't that what he said to the church at Laodicea? Or was it another congregation? There's your research question. What congregation was told you've forgotten you were poor, blind, and naked? You thought you could see, but now you you can't see. We've got to remember things. And when Peter wrote to the church, Second Peter, he said, I'm, I'm writing these things to put you in remembrance. It's important that we call ourselves to remembrance. You know the gospel, but how many times do you continually hear the gospel preached from this pulpit, and you want that so? The old rugged cross. I love to tell the story, even though we've told the story over and over. Remembering things that have gone by, things that God has done, is an extremely important part of our faith. And applying those memories to life today, to what's happening today is an extremely important practice. This is what we've got to do, to take a look at what God has done and and come up with what you believe God is going to do for you today. Why do you pray? Is it just because you've been taught to pray? Just because you read it in the Bible? Or have you prayed in the past and found comfort in prayer? Have you prayed in the past and found that God listens to your prayer? You have this sense that God hears and God responds. You have this sense that prayer is going to bring you comfort even before you get your answer, quote unquote. That's what prayer does. And the more you pray, the more that's impressed on you. And the more you think about that, the more you're inclined to do it the more you're inclined to study. When you study and you discover things that you didn't know were there before, and those things are are like David said in the 119th Psalm, your words, uh, what did he say it was? A light to my path, to my feet. That's what he said. And so when you discover those things in the word and that impresses on your mind, you go, well, I'm going to do some more reading unless you forget you set it aside you don't think about it. But if you think about it, oh, that's good. Why do you keep going back to your favorite restaurant? Because you remember the last time you went, it was good. I'm going to go back. Somehow we got the food
1: again. Preston? thinking about the spirit living in us and that we need to live a prayerful life in a constant prayer and to feed the spirit, not to quench the spirit. That spirit that lives in us, we we have it so that when we do pass, that helps us gain eternal life. It keeps us it's God's spirit, it keeps us close to Him. And we feed it and we take care of it, and we we don't quench it. We we're part of a church that helps keep that alive. He's given us things to study and to think about to help keep that alive and that power that we have into that effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous person to help pray for those around us to help give us God's power so that it can heal and help us get through the infirmities of life. There's just so much there but that spirit keeping that spirit alive and, and, and bringing these things all together and having that prayerful life and to try to grow into Christ and, and not be just, you know, on the milk of the word, but to grow and to be beneficial in God's kingdom. You know, these are the things that I think about when you talk about that. Oh.
0: I, I think you're you're right on when you're talking about those kinds of things because it, it sounds like you're talking about a cooperation with God. It's not that He's doing things or we're doing things. It's that we're, we're doing things together. We're working on this together. He's put his spirit in us. We we listen to his word. We respond to his word. He blesses us. He brings us along. We, we pray the prayer guide, guard, and direct. Uh, not lightly. We believe that God is active in our lives. But what Samuel is, is doing, he's being God's mouthpiece for the people. And he's giving the people... God's word. He's the one that God has established as the one through whom he is speaking and he's leading the people and he's he's trying to bring the people back to a memory of the way things were but they're still in this rejection state. Nobody at this point is going, you know what? Let's let's back up on this idea of a king. You know, you said something not long ago that I got to thinking about about how God had brought us out of Israel and and how well that worked for us. That was gr-. Nobody's doing that. They're pressing on. Uh, the word we hear a lot about today is agenda. They have an agenda. And their agenda is, we want a king, and that's all that matters. So how are we going to get us a king? Except, did you read the last couple of verses? Chapter 10. Saul is finally he, he's anointed and he's presented as the king. But it says in verses 26 and 27, Saul went to his house at Gibeah, and the valiant men whose hearts God had touched went with him. But certain worthless men said, How can this man deliver us? And they despised him and did not bring him any present. I believe we often have this thought that all the Israelites were the same. Whatever it says about the Israelites, all Israelites thought that way. But life is more complex than that, just like it is in our nation. If every American felt the same way, well, depends on which way that is, I guess. (laughs) But we don't, do we? We don't think the same way. We think different ways. But in this particular case, God is delineating who's thinking the right way. Even though they've rejected God to have a king, he says of the men who followed Saul that they were, what's he say of them? Valiant men whose hearts what? God had touched. Now God doesn't touch your heart if you're not open to him. He doesn't work like that. He doesn't force himself on anybody. These were men whose hearts were open to God, and God had touched their hearts. And it's all, to, to me, it's like God is saying, okay, if you're going to have a king, I've got to find some guys who will do this the right way. And here's some guys. These are valiant men, and their hearts are open to me. I'll touch their hearts so that they will follow Saul. There will be some degree of unity, some degree of cooperation. And even though this is not the best way to go, we need some guys who will get in line and, and help this messed up situation out. And then here are these other guys who were described as worthless. How can this man deliver us? Now is there a question that comes to your mind when you read their question? How can this man deliver us? My question would be, Well, you want a king? Who are you looking for? Who do you think is going to deliver you. You've already rejected God. God brings you a guy who's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And you're saying, this guy, he can't deliver us. But he despised him. But what did Saul do in that case? He kept silent. We're seeing something of the character of Saul in in all of this, throughout all of this. What was the question Saul asked Samuel when Samuel told him, hey,
1: you're the guy? Was humble, right? Why what? would you select someone from such a small
0: tribe? Oh, and, and and my family, even in Benjamin, is the smallest family. In, and you're telling me this is what I'm going to do. And then when they finally went to look for Saul to uh, to bring him before the people, where was he? He was hiding among the baggage. He was keeping the bags. That's how important he considered himself, or how important somebody else considered him. I, I don't know what that was all about, but that's where he was. And they had to go find him in the baggage and bring him forward to say, this, this is the guy right here. Maybe that had something to do with why those other guys said, ah, uh, we don't think he can deliver us except for the fact that God tells us they were worthless to start with. That's our clue right there. So it appears that Saul is very humble that he's, uh, Self deprecating. That, that's how it appears at this point. And I, I think at this point, it's true. I think he really is that way. All right. Anybody got anything on any of this? Wow. We're moving on. John? You're not, you're not, no, okay.
2: not <laughs> moving on. <You're> not <laughs>
6: okay. It kind of reminds me of when you make decisions that in regard other people. There, you could never please every single person. I think you see that in the church a lot, too. You know, like, I remember during the pandemic, it was like, no matter what we did, somebody was unhappy. And, uh, and where were some, you? What? Where were you in that case? Uh, was that, that when you were really in Yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, you got 400 people, and it didn't matter what you did, one side or the other was unhappy or threatened to leave or what, you know, however it may be. And... I find it interesting that, like, okay, you don't, you're not pleased with it. We're going to go ahead and do it, though. Because I think sometimes there's this feeling of, well, if, if everyone's not happy, we can't do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's not how God works. Uh, there's your biblical, you can't please everybody. There's your biblical uh, representation for that. Exactly.
0: Leadership does what Davy Crockett said. What did Davy Crockett say? Well, this is sad. There was a day when everybody knew what Davy Crockett said. Davy Crockett said, make sure you're right and then do what? Go ahead. You make sure you're right and then you go ahead. That's not a passage of scripture, but that's biblical You make sure you're right, and then you go ahead. Regardless, that's what you do. That's what God teaches us to do. You make sure you know what you're doing is right, and then you go ahead and you do that. And you don't do it to spite anybody else. You do it simply because it's right, for the sake of what's right. These guys, I mean, we're all like this but, hey, we want a king, but not that
6: way. Yeah. And that's how we are. I want this, but not that way. And it's like... Even when even when leadership tries, sometimes we still we still have these negative Nancy people. Exactly. No fits the Nancy's. So.
1: <laughs> to God, as we get closer to His will, it's like Jesus, not my will but thine. You know, He learned to be in subjection. He learned that here is the Son of God, part of the creation. You know. So even even with what you're saying and what John's saying there that we understand that, but because we may not wholeheartedly see it exactly the same, we understand it's not my will but God's will. So we all move forward even though we we may not all agree.
0: Right. In some ways, and sometimes the way that translates is, is this. God says... I'm not going to tell you everything you need to do as a church. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have men appointed to be shepherds of the flock. I use the term shepherds instead of elders because elders often sounds like a board of directors and they're not a board of directors. Shepherds are supposed to be shepherds supposed to lead the flock. But when you appoint those shepherds, those guys are the ones who make the decisions often that the the direction that the congregation is going to go or what the congregation is going to do. So, that's why God makes sure that every shepherd is a perfect man. And, okay, I heard <coughs> it took you a minute, didn't it? There aren't any perfect men. And so whoever is a shepherd leading the Lord's people, he is, is subject to to his own human weaknesses, but you do the best you can in the situation you're in. And And you and I, we've seen shepherds do this, If you've been part of the Lord's Church, we've seen shepherds try to lead under difficult circumstances. And this COVID thing, that was was crazy. It was something we had never encountered before. I mean, give me a false doctrine to fight any day. And I can show you what the Bible says about it, and we'll go that direction. And the rest of you can do what you want. But COVID? This is weird. We're going to rope off pews? Well, I guess we're supposed to rope off pews. We're going to have everybody wear a mask? Well, I don't know what we're going to do about masks. We're going to let people in who haven't been vaccinated? Well, I guess, I don't know. we have to think about that and make a decision. We're going to have class, and are we going to have preaching? Are we going to make people sit separate? Or, It was like... When I was in the military my my job I was a weapons troop I loaded weapons on aircraft and we had this this one weapon that we used uh it was I think it was called a CBU pod I don't remember the the exact but it was filled with these baseball sized bombs it was a big thing and it, I forget how many it had in there but a couple hundred of these baseball sized bombs and you you drop this thing from an aircraft over the enemy and that pod opens up and those bombs spread out and they've got grooves on the side of them that catch the wind and spin them and that spinning action sets the timer on them and they just drop. And the the plane's gone and the troops, okay, threat's over and they get up. And then those things start to go off almost at random intervals and you never know where they're going to be. Boom, 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 boom. And that's kind of the way it is with leadership. You think, okay, what's going to go off today? (laughs) And and can we count on ourselves as, a, as, a, as a, an eldership to be united to lead the flock? And that's one of the blessings of this congregation. Because we got some guys who were willing to work together. We don't, we don't always agree on the things we decide, but we, we still make those decisions. And the reason I'm talking about this, it's not just to give uh, you some insight into what happened with us. But this is insight into what always happens with leadership. As a leader, you have to make a decision. And it doesn't matter if you're a leader in the church or a leader in your own home. As a leader in your home, you have to make a decision. What are you going to do on Sunday morning when the church meets? You have to decide whether you're the head of the house or an under, an under, whether you're the head of the house or somebody else, I guess maybe I said it that way. You, you have to decide, what am I going to do? What's going to be my decision? I read something. It was, it was really nice on Facebook to a degree about uh, making a decision to be at church. But I wanted to write in. I never have yet. But I wanted to write in there and say, bless your heart, that's a decision you should have made a long time ago. You shouldn't have to make that decision every Sunday morning. You shouldn't have to make that decision every Sunday night. You shouldn't have to make that decision every Wednesday night. That, that's a decision that should already be made. And if the time comes when you need to lay out on a Sunday morning, or you need to lay out on a Sunday night, you need to lay out on a, that's, that's counter to the norm, a, a decision that you've already made. And I, I don't want to get legalistic about attending the assemblies. It's, it's not about that. I'm just saying when it comes to doing what you know is the most right thing. We shouldn't have to make those decisions every time they come up. They should already be made in our minds. I'm going to do that. How many times a day do you have to decide to be faithful in your marriage? How many times a day do you have to decide to to love your children and do what's best for them? How many times a day do you have to decide to provide for your family, either as the, the wage earner or as the homemaker? That's providing for the family, too. Yeah, that's really providing for the family if you're a homemaker. But, but these are things that we just decide we're going to do, and we do them. And it's the same with leadership. The, the only thing about Samuel was he, he lost a little bit of sight about who the real leader was. God had put him in a leadership position, and he, he lost sight of the fact that when the people rejected him, they weren't rejecting him, they were rejecting God. And as a leader, that's one of the most important things you can do. And I I don't speak now in terms of leadership being an elder or a deacon or a priest. I talk in terms about you leading your own life. You have a life and you have to lead your life. You have to make decisions about your life that nobody else can make. And as a leader, you have to decide you're going to lead yourself in the way of what's right every time. You're going to stick to what's right, you're going to go with that. There were guys when Samuel said, Saul's the man. They said, we're going to go with Saul. We're going to support Saul. There were people that said, we're not going to support Saul. We don't care if God chose him or if you chose him, Samuel, we're not going to do that. In my mind, there was some decision-making that had already been done. So this is where we are. You're a leader. You lead yourself first. And you lead others by leading yourself
5: You have to find the best information possible and make your
0: decisions. Absolutely. It It doesn't matter what the decision is. You have a responsibility to make the most right decision with the most information. And that's why when Samuel came back to the people and said, All right, I need to tell you some history. I need to remind you of this history. You already know this, but I'm going to remind you of it. This is what God did. He brought you out of Egypt. By the way, in a in a chapter just immediately previous to this, who else recounted that history? The Philistines. You remember? They took the ark in battle. Woohoo, we got the ark of God and then things start to go haywire. God smites them in their hinder parts. He sends mice that plague them. And it says they're priests or leaders. Who, who did it say? This is back here in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 6. And this, these are the leaders of the Philistines, talking to the Philistines Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he had severely dealt with them, did he not allow the people to go and they departed? Now therefore take and prepare. So the Philistines know Israel's history and they're reminding the Philistine people, this is what God did for them. And now Samuel's reminding them of what God did for them. And they're still saying, we want a king. And some of them are saying, yeah, but not that king. Yes, and I'm, I'm glad they're the only ones that have been like that. When, when God called Ezekiel, now think about his call. Go, go to Ezekiel, I don't know if we should be doing it. How many bells? One, one bell. When you, when you look at Ezekiel, God's calling Ezekiel, and where is Ezekiel going to minister? He's going to minister to the people who are in exile. Why are they in exile? They're in exile because they've been naughty. And God says, I'm going to bring judgment upon you. I'm going to bring the Babylonians. They're going to carry you off to a foreign land. And and you're going to be prophesying to them and teaching them and training them in my ways while they're in this foreign land. And God comes to Ezekiel and says, I'm going to make your head like Uh, Flint, Look at chapter 2, verse 3. He said to me, Son of man, I'm sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. I'm sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, as for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. So this is God talking to Ezekiel and saying, I'm sending you, Somewhere along in here, he tells him, I'm going to make your head like Flint so that you can continue to talk to him. Oh, there it is, chapter 3, verse 8. Behold, I've made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. (laughs) Like like Emery, harder than Flint, I've made your forehead. (laughs) Just think about what he's telling Ezekiel. You're going to have to have a hard head. You're going to have to be tough if you want to prophesy to these people, but that's all right because I've made you tough. Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them though they are a rebellious house. Verse 11, whether they listen or not. it's And this is after God's punished them and it's like you, you discipline your child with spanking or whatever they, they hate the most and they still look at him. No. You've you got to keep disciplining until they finally decide to submit to what's right. That's That's God's leadership. That should be ours as well. Well, anybody got anything as we close? We've had two bells? All right, great. Thank you. Appreciate it.